Hi, everybody. It's Brian Mahoney, the CEO of Trend Research and the president of the OTT Executive Community. We're continuing in our OTT Executive Podcast Series, where we interview leaders in the industry and get to know a little bit from them and a little bit about them as well. Today, we're joined by Eric Keith, the Chief Content Officer for Space Mob. Eric, welcome. Hey, nice to, nice to see you. This is great. Well, listen, thank you for spending the time with us here today. Maybe just a quick background on on yourself, kind of start a little bit about um, you know your career and kind of how you got to where you are today. Uh, very good. Yeah. So I'm a chief content officer for Space Mob, uh, an executive producer. Um, my background, I, I started in, in theater and film uh, back in the 90s and, uh, you know, worked my way onto a set so I could watch producers. And I got very excited to uh, to uh, start producing my own plays, my own you know short films and then into feature films and just sort of work my way up. Um, along the way, I worked in digital media. So I learned a lot about sort of digital sales and and marketing and that sort of thing. Um, spent the last eight years, uh, four of which have been in streaming, uh, but the last eight working for Space Mob, um, working with uh, web publishing companies when we started. So we worked with groups like Dow Jones, The Wall Street Journal, uh, Match.com, those sorts of groups doing uh, – as an extension of their video production team mm -hmm. um, and then later moved into more branded content for groups like Honda Motorcycles, NBC Universal, um, you know, big, bigger, bigger brands and eventually uh, moved into streaming media and uh, found a home really creating fast channels for, uh, for, you know, partners that partner brands that that were looking to uh, to create a fast channel from their content, as well as uh, creating original series. Um, I think we have three that are either headed or on PBS, uh, six series that are on uh, Amazon Prime Video, and uh, and then you know dozens more kind of across all the all the different platforms. So, um, producing has always been my. Uh, my path and now i get to produce as well as launch fast channels that's awesome so you're squarely a content person a creator i am i like to call myself a storyteller um really interested whether it's the story of, of, of a brand or whether it's a story uh, of uh, a particular um documentary subject or a narrative feature you know story is is where is where we all meet mm -hmm. so eric tell me about your current role I'm the chief content officer for Space Mob, um, a digital media company that does streaming uh, video and television content. Okay. And so how much of the business model for Space Mob is content production, hosting, streaming? You know, where do you fit into the overall ecosystem? So it, it, it kind of varies depending on when uh, when you talk to us. But right now... Uh, production is a part of it. It's it's largely used. Our studio is largely being used to feed our fast business. Mm -hmm. So we'll do editing and and content around the fast channels. Um, we do produce series as well. We've we've done a, a number of of those. We haven't quite figured out how that uh, that's a financial model that that makes sense for the direction that we're heading. Um, but we like to to do production as a part of uh, a part of what we're doing. It sort of 
um, solidifies us in partners' minds as being a, a well-rounded group that does, you know, both content and uh, and business. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the fast channels a little bit. Um, any update there? And and you know, just from a larger kind of industry perspective, how that's been a big a big uh, trend over the last few years. How is that going in your mind? I think it's a pretty tough uh, nut to crack right now. Um, they're cutting more channels than they are adding. Mm-hmm. Uh, the major platforms are cutting down pretty dramatically. Um, we're adding more channels, so it's a good place for us because we kind of understand it and you know we're growing in that space. Uh, we just added Monster Jam as a, as a partner. Um, we've got a, a baking channel called Bigger Boulder uh, Baking that's uh, that's going to be coming out soon, and we've got a handful of other really sort of big properties that were on network television. Um, it's a good space. It's, it's just, it's super competitive and, mm-hmm. and kind of, uh, you know, you wonder how long that, uh, that bubble will last. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've, I've heard it described as a bubble, um, by others as well. In the last few years, it's gone from, you could almost create a channel on anything and get distribution to, you know, talking to this sort of like the CTV platforms, for instance, where they might sort of call the herd on a periodic basis to get rid of the channels that aren't really drawing drawing in viewers or the content gets a little stale. Any tips or advice about how to best navigate the fast marketplace? Yeah, I mean, all I can say is that live is a huge component right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're you're putting out a channel that has some live piece to it, um, uh, you're, den- you're generally in better shape than if uh, if you didn't have that. Um, and we also like to do channels that have a VOD component as well. So we're not just doing the channel, but we're also doing the VOD just to maximize our ability to make revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, not to give away the the secret sauce, but those are two uh, two elements that are you know pretty important. Well, live is important one because usually it's a unique asset, right? You know, it's a unique content. Um, it's in real time. So you can sort of have that water cooler benefit. Um, and, uh, you know, people have to sort of tune in, uh, it's kind of scheduled or, or kind of meetup TV. So that all makes sense. Um, you know, and how do you balance, like, where do you sort, maybe you can talk a little bit about your content strategy and how you source your content. Yeah. So, I mean, we are really heavily focused on like entertainment sports so we're you know we're in talks with a uh, with a soccer league. Um, we have Monster Jam, which is monster trucks and you know family fun for the whole for the whole crew. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got another big league uh, around basketball that uh, that might come through, and so on and so forth. But uh, most everything that we're doing right now is in in the the entertainment sports arena we like it because it it naturally comes with a, a live um mm-hmm. aspect you know it, it may cost a little bit more but you can get live with with sports mm-hmm. um and you also get a nice wide demographic uh with with sporting and and frankly the the uh platforms like it so yeah and yeah sports are um i mean a lot being spent on sports right now uh some of the major deals that we saw with like major league soccer and uh, NFL, um, you know, all the big players are realizing that sports is something that is, 
you know, sort of defensible territory. So that makes a lot of sense. But there's a lot of opportunities out there, too, for kind of more niche sports that have, you know, very avid fans uh, and they may not have distribution. Um, so streaming is a great way to do that for them. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what that negotiation looks like, you know, how to do those licensing deals, why they'd want to partner with you versus somebody else, exclusives, anything along those along those lines? Yeah, I mean, speaking of uh, of sort of more niche uh, sports, we have a pickleball channel, okay, um, which has been really uh, really interesting and and pretty successful. So, I mean, honestly, the opportunities are, they're out there. Um, we've got one that I can't talk about, but I'll I can reference that we kind of really dug to find, but it, you know, it's through looking at schedules uh, on network television of just seeing, okay, what are, what are people watching and, and, you know, where does it, where does it show up? You know, and then you look at the odd stuff. I mean, I've looked at every military competition out there. I've looked Mm at, you know, ax throwing and, you know, every sort of crazy sport you can imagine, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the craziest one, but, uh, you know, some of the the firefighter challenge and just all the different stuff that's out there that could be a potential channel. You know, you look at it, you weigh the opportunity, and then you you kind of go from there. Um, we do everything on a rev share uh, mm-hmm. for the most part. Okay. I mean, there, there are the occasional exceptions, but uh, most of our partnerships are are truly a partnership. A lot of times it's people that haven't thought of fast yet or or weren't sure how to do fast. Um, our biggest competition generally is the uh, the platforms themselves. Mm-hmm. So they want to take a good channel uh, and make it exclusive to them, as opposed to you know having somebody like us take it to you know five or ten different platforms. Mm-hmm. But uh, it generally works out better for the partner if they can be on as many platforms as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're doing the revenue share, and so these deals aren't necessarily exclusive but you offer distribution for the, for your content partners. Yeah. They're exclusive in the sense that we don't allow our partners to go out and do other fast channel opportunities without us. Okay. Um, like that we we're in the fast business together. Um, non-exclusive when it comes to like wanting to put something on VOD or, or, you know, on TVOD or whatever, mm-hmm. like we're not digging into every aspect of our partner's business. We're just literally in the fast channel business. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at it that way, it's one, it's one way to monetize content. And there are other ways as well, as you mentioned, VOD, um, you know, SVOD and uh, who knows broadcast, but um, so that's interesting. So where, where is the industry going? Um, you, you said fast, you know, could be considered a bubble um, there, you know, and by bubble, you know, it may not pop, it may be more consolidation. Uh, the, the sort of bar is higher for, getting distribution deals. Uh, we have, I don't know, I think one analyst was uh, quoted as saying there's over 1,300 fast uh, uh, channels now. So that's a lot. That's a lot of options for consumers. How do you think consumer behavior is going to change in 2024 and how will that shape the market? I mean, I think more and more consumers are going to be consuming these fast channels. Like if we're talking just about fast, um, I think there's, you know, two ways of watching content. You either seek it out and you go find it on, you know, VOD Mm -hmm. or or SVOD, um, or you go and you watch TV the old way, which is the fast channel, um, and, and sort of scroll through and find content that appeals to you in that moment. 
I think that's the direction it will continue to go. I think we'll see more of the more of the same. I think from a channel perspective, you're going to see higher quality channels. I mean, mm -hmm. they're really, really sifting through and making sure that anything that's on the air is actively being watched. And, you know, there's not, there's not a bunch of lonely channels out there. They're getting, they're getting squashed. So mm -hmm. um, if your channel isn't, you know, earning a certain amount of money, you're going to, you're going to find it back in your lap. <laughs> you know, it's not right. going to last very long. So Mm -hmm. I think that trend will continue until they, they get it down to a number that everybody feels comfortable with, which I don't know where that is, but I'm probably, it would make me nervous if I knew what it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then there's also the larger environment in which viewers are watching content. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like how, how much aggregation can you do? Are your, you know, fast channels, for instance, you mentioned cooking, you mentioned pickleball. Um, you know, there's only so many things you can combine you know, are those all sort of unique channels on their own? You know, what's your role as sort of an aggregator um, leveraging the same, you know, distribution partnerships you have? You know, we're not doing a whole lot of aggregation when it comes to the content of a fast channel. We're almost exclusively doing single purpose uh, mm -hmm. channels. Mm -hmm. Um that's just the direction that we've gone. We do have a couple of, of like horror channel or, 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 uh, you know, food channel or whatever, but, uh, generally speaking, we're doing uh, single partnership channels. Mm -hmm. And is there enough content library to, you know, populate a channel or, you know, if you look at sort of the linear concept and, you know, do you have to have like, what's the minimum number of titles before you feel like you comfortably have, you know, a, a big enough, uh, or a full enough channel to offer to launch to the marketplace? We like to see 150 hours of content to start okay. out with, with the ability to refresh on a regular basis. So, you know, if if it's something like a I Love Lucy that's only got a finite number of episodes, uh, then you might need 100 hours plus, you know, 50 episodes that you hold out to use as refresh, mm -hmm. uh, for example. But uh yeah, that's that's kind of the direction that we like to like to go. Okay, and how about viewer acquisition? Um, what is your strategy for acquiring new eyeballs for new viewers for your fast channels? So we invested in an ad agency. Um, Space Mom purchased uh, Answer Media, which was our original parent company name. Um, but we, we have a, a all female run uh, ad agency mm -hmm. that does social media and uh, like PR and that sort of thing. And they really are pressing, um, you know, so like Red Green Channel. We have a, a show called the Red Green Show that was one of the biggest sort of comedies in the history of Canada, mm -hmm. and uh, it's it's gone on and just blown up as a as a fast channel. Like the the social following has been enormous, and now we're selling flannel shirts and doing all this kind of crazy merchandise and all this stuff. But uh, the social media team at Answer Media has been able to just really push those users back to the content again and again and again. And it's been a, it's been a huge success. So the, the having the agency, I think, is a crucial part of a company like ours because um, it's not enough to just build it. You know, you right. have to you have to sort of figure out how to make them come. So, yeah, yeah. So interesting, you mentioned social and merchandising. I, I'm doing some research around communities as a way to kind of envelop your video library, your video business, whatever it might be. 
with um, greater opportunities for engagement, greater monetization. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Like what is there, is there money being left on the table or another way to put it? Is there more opportunity to kind of grow, increase your engagement and, you know, monetize new business models to complement your fast channels? There's definitely money left to, to left on the table every day. Um, it, it's kind of, you know, you wish you would have known now what you knew that you didn't know then sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's a really interesting situation. You get to this point where you're, you know, we're selling these Dixon flannel shirts and we sold a thousand in the first five days um to you know to the red green supporters and it just you know it just makes you wonder what else you could potentially put in front of them that mm-hmm. they would enjoy that would sort of fulfill them in some way um while you know continuing to keep i mean it's it's also a promotional thing right so you've right. got all these people wearing red green flannel shirts around uh it's sort of a win-win for everyone and i know like you know monster jam they're they're the biggest merchandisers that I know. Um, they're really, really good at upselling you when you go to an event and like, you know, you end up spending $200 on, uh, on toys for your kids, but, uh, the, uh, tickets only cost you $15 or something like that. So, um, I think there's a lot of, a lot of money to be made. We see that opportunity now with every single channel that we do. It's like, you know, you've got 5 million followers. How do we, you know, how do we capitalize on that relationship with the followers to the fans and create more fandom for, uh, for the product? Yeah. I mean, especially if you're talking about live as well. I mean, you mentioned the in real life events, we can kind of tie the content into that. You know, you can sell merch, that helps the branding, which helps the viewer acquisition. So it becomes sort of a, a virtuous cycle, you know, over time, if you can tap into it um, the right way, right? That's right. Well, cool. So let's talk a little bit about just industry trends. You know, we talked about fast. Any predictions for 2024? What do you, what do you see coming down the pike, you know, either in your business or, you know, at the industry level? So for the, in the OTT space, Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't have a whole lot outside of fast. I mean, fast is really where my, my brain is at, um, in terms of like OTT production, I think it's going to get, I think more and more companies that are sort of, you know, mid to small level are going to get out of the production game altogether, just because it's so hard to, hmm. you know, really generate revenue. Um, there's a lot of people coming out of places like, you know, discovery and, and, you know, other cable networks that are producers that go out and are producing shows as a sort of one man band. Mm -hmm. And they're able to make a good living that way, but it, you know, does it really scale to the type of business that, that we would want to have? So I think you're going to see more and more, um, you know, sort of independent producers producing content with fewer companies, fewer big companies behind, behind them. Um, that's my, that's my take on it. Um, and with fast, uh, I think it's just going to continue to, to blow up. Um, mm-hmm. I think the number of channels is going to decrease and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be on a, uh, on a even playing field with everybody and it's going to be tough to get new channels through. Yeah. I mean, there's always a first mover advantage and at some point you're playing catch up, and at some point, it's too late, right? Because the established um, sort of value chain of content through distribution is already sort of solidified. So unless you have something 
really creative or new, or as you mentioned, certain um, sports franchises that haven't been locked up yet, and that those opportunities are becoming fewer and far far between. So um, that makes sense. So Eric, one of the things we'd like to do in this podcast is sort of personalize some of the leaders in the industry, people like yourself. Is there any hobby or interest you can share with our audience? Sure. Um, I mean, obviously the first one that I'd always mention is just that of a filmmaker, you know, that's definitely a hobby as well as a, as a career at times. No, I would say the, the thing I'd like to talk about is my, uh, my passion for my kids. Uh, I know that's, it's kind of a cliche thing, but I've, uh, I've got a son who uh, is just obsessed with Pokemon. And so I've learned more about Pokemon and, and, you know, I find myself, you know, ordering these Pokemon cards for Christmas and, and just really getting into, you know, he's like, this is really rare. And I'm like, I'm seeking the rare cards for my kid. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, but uh, yeah, he's eight. And then I've got a four-year-old girl too. So um, she would like to say that I'm into princesses or dollies or something. <laughs> That's funny. Do you remember, was it just a few years ago they had that Pokemon craze where they had the augmented reality where you'd see like Pokemon monsters on the side of the road or something. That was crazy. I forgot about that. Pokemon Go, they still have that. Yes, uh, how is that? Uh, is that still going strong? It is. Yeah, it's it's a normal part of our road trips. You know, anywhere we go, we've got Pokemon Go going in the background. So, oh, that's so fun. Well, what I don't like is that you can't connect the you can't disconnect the audio from your sound system without you know like the Bluetooth picks up from the phone picks up on the uh, on the uh, audio system of the car. So you're listening oh. to the sounds of Pokemon Go on the on the car as you you can't escape it. No, you can't. <laughs> well, good thing. I mean, your your kids are your passion, so you don't mind it. And um, as I've often said, the years are long, but the the uh, the, I'm sorry, the days are long, but the years are short. It goes by really, really fast. So you have to enjoy it while you have it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. My kids are all in college and they're back this week. And so, you know, we're planning some some fun things. It's just nice to have them home, you know. Well, listen, Eric, I really appreciate your time on this podcast. Um, great getting to know you, learning from some of your insights as well. Uh, we'll keep an eye out on Space Mob in, in 2024. And yeah, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Once again, everybody, this is Brian Mahoney, the president of the OTT Executive Community, and we've been interviewing Eric Keith, Chief Content Officer with Space Bob. Thanks, Eric. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.